morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, delete as applicable. Uh, welcome to the eighth episode of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. Uh, before we dig into today's track, I wanted to shout out to the Tom Petty Nation, Tom Petty Forever, and the Tom Petty Fans Forever Facebook groups for being a cool place to virtually hang out this past weekend as we commemorated Tom's passing on October 2nd. There were lots of expressions of regret, sadness, anger, loss and grief, of course, but equally lots of love, memories and tributes and sharing of stories and songs, which really helped, I think, really helped everyone through that, uh, through that weekend. Okay, today we're talking about track eight on the debut album, Mystery Man, which I would say stands out as the most unique song on the album. As always, if you haven't listened to the song yet, head to the episode notes and you can refresh your memory if you don't know this one too well, or... You can listen to it for the very first time. Once you've done that, I'll be waiting here for you. Okay? All set? Let's dig into it. Mystery Man is the shortest song on side two of the album, clocking in at three minutes, three seconds, and is one of the four songs to feature Jeff Girard on guitar. The song was released as the B-side of the South African release of Anything That's Rock and Roll, uh, which was released on 27th of February 1978. The song was recorded live off the floor and then overdubbed in one night at the A&M Music Studio located in the old Charlie Chaplin studio just south of the junction of La Brea Drive and Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. The building is now the Jim Henson Company lot, you know, with the big uh, Kermit the Frog statue over the, over the gate. Uh, but at the time, it was the headquarters of A&M Records. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, it was kind of an interesting place. You could stroll around, there were a lot of studios in that complex, and you could stick your head in the door and just hear all kinds of artists. I remember seeing Johnny Mathis do a track there. He was there wearing a sweater, looking just like an album cover. I think we all know exactly what kind of album cover he's referring to, as our grandparents all had stacks of those records. I'm going to start off this episode by talking more about the lyrics and Tom's vocal delivery before we get into the instrumental arrangement. The song features a really lazy, drawl delivery that works so well on this type of song. There aren't any sharp edges here, with Tom purring his way through the lyrics rather than really attacking them. And in that sense, it's a, it's a very reserved vocal track compared to most of the rest of the album, and it's only one of two tracks on the album with no harmonies at all. Fooled Again is the other track. And having that lone vocal track with no embellishment makes it feel really personal, and you can imagine that he's singing it directly to you. In the online groups that I'm part of, it's brought up as a favourite from the debut album by quite a few ladies. With that really sultry, seductive delivery, it's no real surprise that this song resonates well with female petty fans. Tom never really belts a high note, preferring to keep the delivery right down the line. It's a really mature performance from a 26-year-old rock and roller, again in the context of how he swaggers his way through the rest of the album. The lyrics are simplistic and direct, imploring a girl not to ignore him. Don't hide from me, baby, and incognito, baby, you're so crude. During the first verse, set up that element of pursuit. The second verse implies that the object of his desire isn't an upmarket type, with her dime store jewellery and cheap perfume, but that's okay. I don't mind, take my hand, baby, I want to be your mystery man. Not much reading between the lines needed in this one, and the chorus is a really simple refrain that repeats as a firm confirmation of intent. There are a couple of old songwriting tricks in here too, changing the word baby to honey in the last line of the first and second verses, and then repeating the first verse as the last. Again though, with a song like this, the lyrics don't have to be dense or clever or complex, because it's more about the picture that they paint when they're drawled over the top of that music in, in the way that they are. Again, that word seductive is the one that springs instantly to mind. 
The archetypal protagonist is alluring and sexy because of the mystery surrounding him. This appears time and time and time again in rock and roll songs. I absolutely love the guitars on this track, and I think they're probably, well, to say the best, they're definitely my favourite on the album. Again, there's a great maturity in the way this one's played, pulling back to keep the sultry, laconic vibe going, but adding in lots of colour and depth where needed. We have quite a few guitar tracks on this one too, with Mike, Tom and Jeff Gerard again guesting, filling out the sound. We have two rhythm tracks opening up with an acoustic track, I presume Tom, panned hard right, and an electric rhythm track, panned hard left. The lead is panned right again and features a nice tremolo-heavy, clean tone. And once Mike slides into those choruses, you really get an almost Hawaiian feel to the whole thing before he backs that off again until the solo. And another killer solo it is too, as it's actually doubled, playing off itself. You have a fairly muddy, muted slide in the left channel playing in those lower registers, then a bright, shining, trebly lead in the right channel shimmering above that rhythm. Benmont's organ is mixed really, really low on this one, but it's got a cool, swelling organ pattern matching the electric rhythm guitar pretty closely. I would actually like to have heard this part more clearly, and this would be one of a it would be a slight criticism of the production on this one song. In the live versions, it fills out the sound more, and I think leaving it so low in the mix, to the point that you can barely hear it at times, was maybe the wrong thing to do. But who am I to second-guess professional producers anyway? The rhythm section on this track is also one of my favourites on the album. Even though it's played with a delicate touch by Stan, the drums sound quite beefy. I don't know if that's just the reverb in the room being very good, in that, you know, in that different room at A&M Studios, or whether they were mixed slightly differently, but they sound fantastic. There's some really good understated work on this from Stan and he adds some nice subtle syncopation in a couple of spots and some beautifully played, very simple fills. Coming back out of the solo into that last verse chorus, we get some additional percussion too and it gives it a little bit more swing. Stan starts to hit the drums a little harder too in the lead out and playing more on the cymbals to, to build that energy into the, uh, into the ending. It's one of the coolest drum tracks on the record for me, definitely. Complementing that drum track, we have another rock-solid bass line from Ron Blair. Like Benmont's organ, the bass is mixed quite low in this one, which could have resulted from not having a clean take if it was recorded live off the floor and having to live with what they had, perhaps. It's a really nice, lazy, mellow bass line that moves around over that kick pattern and accentuates what the guitars are doing very nicely. Too much or too little from Ron in this one could have seen the guitars and drums not mesh as well as they do, with the bass gluing things together as it does. Okay, folks, time for some Petty Trivia yet again. Last week, I asked you which two Tom Petty songs share the following two lines in common. I remember feeling this way. You can lose it without knowing. The first song, which most of you, I assume, would have got right away, was the brilliantly atmospheric Don't Fade On Me from the Wildflowers album. The second was You Get Me High from the Heartbreakers' first US number one album, 2014's excellent Hypnotic Eye. The second two lines of that verse are very slightly different between the two songs to accommodate the different rhythm. Tom isn't the first artist, of course, to repeat lines in different songs. Sting uses It's a Big Enough Umbrella, but it's always me that ends up getting wet in at least two and I think maybe three songs. A quick shout out to the boys in the Honest and Unmerciful podcast for inadvertently giving me the idea to use this song as a trivia question after they discussed repeated lines in their review of the Police's classic album, Ghost of the Machine. Your question for today is this. Which Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album achieved the highest position on the UK album charts? Alrighty, back to the song. 
I noticed something unique about this song too at the end, and I had to go back and check that I was right by listening to the other nine tracks on the album. This track is the only song on the album with an actual ending rather than a fade out. My guess is that some of this might be down to Danny Cordell editing judiciously most of the songs for time rather than any conscious decision to have the fade out be the standard way to end end the tracks. Overall, Mystery Man has a, a very laid back southern swampy vibe to it. Though the band are, you know, southern boys, Tom rarely leaned very heavily on his southern roots in the band's early days, and it's probably an attempt to avoid being pigeonholed as a southern artist as he was developing the Heartbreakers sound. This one, though, does feel like a, you know, a CCR or an Allman Brothers jam with some Hawaiian-tinged influences in that slide guitar. It's a very simple chord progression in E with a nice little lead arpeggio. Root some fifth in the verse with a fourth added into the chorus. I can't remember who said it, but I was listening to an interview with some or other famous musician who reckoned that Tom Petty was the greatest three-chord songwriter of all time. And I think this song makes a strong argument in favour of this assertion. This is another song from the first album that was very rarely played live. There is a cool version from the 1978 New Year's Eve concert online that has a slightly more country feel to it to me, uh, with Stan playing it slightly straighter. It wasn't played again, you know, I think it was played two or three times in the 70s and once again in maybe 91, but the song was revived for the 1997 Fillmore run in San Francisco for, in quotes, probably the first time in about 15 years, as Tom says in the intro. But it was dropped again after those shows, never to be played again live. The Fillmore version sounds fantastic and it's played really close to the original with just a little more crunch from Mike's guitar. 20 years on from recording though, Tom's voice sounds fantastic. It sounds so good in this version. And I'll leave links to both videos in the episode notes as usual. This one was a grower, not a shower for me, but has become one of my favourite early deep cuts off that first album. So because of the fantastic guitar, the really cool drum track and Tom's delivery, I'm going to give Mystery Man, you know, I was going to give it a, oh man, I'm so torn. Yeah, I'm going to give it a really solid 8 out of 10. Not quite going to give it 9 because I think that the 9s and the 10s on the album do stand just slightly above it, but an 8 out of 10 for sure. It's one of my favourite Petty Deep Cuts at the moment and a song that I would have loved to see live. Okay, folks, that's all for Mystery Man. I have a couple of announcements before I get into my usual sort of end of episode wrap. Um, Firstly, I have a very cool guest, tentatively confirmed for the album wrap episode, and I'm hoping to get final confirmation on a recording date this week. Secondly, I was thinking that maybe a special episode I could do each season is to just talk to a listener or a, a Tom Petty fan about their experience with Tom's music in general, not specific to an individual album. So if you're interested in chatting to me sometime for 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, um, please just drop me a line, get in touch. Um, you can reach me on social media um, or my email address is on uh, my ACAST feed and you can get to it from there. So drop me a line, let me know if, if you want to talk. Um, lastly, I had a question from a listener. Paul Roberts asked me if I'm going to be reviewing Dog on the Run, which was taken from the Live Leg EP, but was never actually recorded. Live Leg was released between the debut album and You Are Gonna Get It, and my original intention was to cover all the non-studio album songs once I've been through all the albums. But... Since Paul was keen for me to cover that episode, I'm going to throw it in as a special bonus episode after the album wrap. So look out for that one, and thank you so much for asking, Paul. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Tom Petty Project, or on Twitter at Tom Petty Project, and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't so far. If you're enjoying the podcast, 
Give it a share on your social media. Tell your friends and help me spread the word. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about track nine on the debut album, Luna. Bye-bye. Thank you.